1: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're
0: listening to Harry Simeon.
1: Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. So good to see so many of you in the live chat, joining us uh, for this debrief after Arsenal's 2-0 victory up at St. James's Park. Nobody gave us a hope in hell of going up there and winning. Nobody gave us a chance. People have been writing us off for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now, I'm not saying that Arsenal are going to go on and win the Premier League title from here. I'm not saying that this means that an awful lot has changed. I've always said that Arsenal had to win um, today in order to just keep that dream alive. And that's exactly what we've been able to do. But hey, If you're not there, then, you know, you you have no chance. You have zero chance. We may not have a huge chance, but we've still got a chance. And that's what this is all about. I've said for the last few weeks now, yeah, maybe we've given up control. Yes, we're second favourites now. But what I really wanted to see was Arsenal go on for the remainder of the season and make Manchester City work for it. Finish on a high. Send a message to everybody else that, yeah, we have blips like every other team, but they are not things that drag on for too long and our season is not going to die uh, a slow death because we have been fantastic from the off in this campaign. We've played with fear, uh, with fearlessness, with fight, with pride, with passion. Um, this is a young developing team. This is a young developing manager. And there is, believe me, so, so much to be excited about as an Arsenal fan. And so what I was really wary of and concerned about was the possibility of our season just sort of going up in smoke And, you know, just sort of slowly dying out. I can't even speak today because I'm quite excited, actually. Um, But there was that fear and that worry that it was just going to all fade away. And here we are. Here we are having just one at St. James's Park. And for me, it's not just the result. It's the way we played. It's the nature of our approach. You know, we've talked a lot about the pressure and that maybe the pressure got to Arsenal uh, in the last uh, month or so. And that that could have played a big part. That could have been a reason as to why we saw mistakes that have been uncharacteristic all season from some really key players just creeping in while certain players had maybe gone off the boil just when it mattered most. Pressure can weigh heavy. But what Arsenal showed me today by going to St James's Park and playing in that way more than the result is that that pressure being relieved has maybe been a bit of a good thing. Now, I know that sounds stupid because... You know, you need the pressure. You need to deal with pressure to go on and win Premier League titles. And ultimately, that's where you want to be. But you could see now that it was weighing really, really heavy on this young group, on a lot of our players. And now that we're not the favourites anymore, and now that the pendulum has swung in Manchester City's favour, and everybody and anybody out there thinks that Manchester City, outside of the Arsenal world I'm talking about, are going to cruise to this title now, it's allowed us to play with the freedom and with the shackles off. With the handbrake off, as Arsene Wenger used to say back in the day, fantastic performance, incredible result. Really, really pleased with it. Yeah, we had some moments where we rode our luck, and we had a few difficulties in the game. But you're always going to get that up at St James's Park. They have been phenomenal this season. Third place going into the weekend, they've been phenomenal. Still might be in third place because Manchester United are losing at the time of recording, from what I understand. But the point I'm trying to the point I'm trying to make here is that that was a really difficult place to go today and we went there and we not only got the result that we needed to keep our title hopes alive but we performed in a in a fearless way in a bold way in a brave way and that what you saw today you know a fearlessness a a willingness to attack a composure with the ball even in deep defensive areas the game management, the the fight for one another, the spirit, the passion, all of those things. That's what Mikel Arteta's arsenal is all about. And you saw that in an abundance today. So I'm not saying we should be going overboard and jumping up and down because we're now going to win the Premier League. What I'm saying is you should be proud of those lads and proud of that manager and proud of the team, not just the players because the manager went out there today and or went up there today and made some decisions that I wouldn't have made, that most of you probably wouldn't have made again, a fearlessness. You know, there was a boldness to what Mikel Arteta did. And I thought Arsenal really, really benefited from that today. We'll start with the starting lineup because obviously um, that's a big talking point or it was a big talking point going into this game. Now, I talked in the build-up to the game about the fact that I would have stuck with pretty much most things, but that I would have brought Gabriel Martinelli back into the side in place of Leandro Trossard on the left. And I also said, that I would have, um, that I would have played Thomas Partey in the middle because I was worried about the physicality that Newcastle have, uh, the energy that they have, the legs that they have in midfield. I was really, really worried about that, and I thought that Jorginho up against that could come unstuck and could be left exposed. And I have to say, in the first eight to ten minutes of the game, prior to Arsenal's got opening goal. What minute was that even on? I've like lost track. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is right at the beginning of that game in the first few minutes, um, when I sort of saw the pattern of play, our goal was on 14 minutes. So in the first eight to 10 minutes, I felt like we were suffering a little bit in midfield, that we were getting overrun a little bit. And obviously they hit the post, which was unlucky. We'll come on to talk about those moments a little bit later on. But yeah, um, so the team surprised me. And I must admit when I saw it, I wasn't 100% pleased, but hey, what do I know? This was the team that Mikel Arteta picked. So he went with Aaron Ramsdale in goal. He went with Ben White at right back. Jakub Kivior, who performed admirably against Chelsea at home the other night, uh, remained in the side alongside Gabriel. Uh, We'll talk about his contribution in a bit. Zinchenko continued at left back. Jorginho was given the nod in midfield alongside Odegaard and Xhaka and Gabriel Martinelli came back into the 11 to replace Leandro Trossard on the left-hand side. So as I say, I worried about um, uh, about Jorginho. The Kivior thing, I was a little bit nervous about that as well because when I came away from the game against Chelsea on Tuesday night, there was a lot of conversation and a lot of debate and discussion around Jakub Kivior and how well he'd done and I don't want to take anything away from the lad because he did brilliantly, performed really, really well. But there was this thing in the back of my mind that was telling me, well, this is a Chelsea side that in front of goal have been toothless all season. This was at home. This was a game that I expected us to win, that we should have won quite comfortably. And we ended up doing exactly that. But going to St. James's Park would be a completely different animal, a totally different kettle of fish up against a really good, strong opponent that is very, very potent in the attacking third, that has the likes of Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak and various others. You know, even Murphy's been in good form of late, that has goals from midfield in the likes of Joe Linton and, of course, Joe Willock, who we know very, very well. For example, Bruno Gimareich, who's been talked about as one of the best midfielders in the Premier League this season, trippier's deliveries from wide areas. You felt like, Kivior could be in for a difficult afternoon. And the problem is that when you've got a centre half who's uncomfortable alongside Gabriel, what does that do? It adds to Gabriel's workload. You know, and Gabriel's workload is big enough with Alexander Zinchenko next to him, who I still think there are serious question marks over from a defensive standpoint. But Kivior did excellently. Did he look a little bit uncomfortable at times when the ball was coming to him? and he was sort of required to play out from the back or or just sort of lay it off to Aaron Ramsdale, it's only natural because he was playing on his wrong side. But I thought what he gave us was that ability to play with the high line, the high line that is so imperative to our system, the high line that underpins all of the high press work that we do, and it, it reduces the gap in between our lines. So if our back line push up, you're probably sick to death of me talking about this, but if the back line push up, and squeeze up and get right up close to the midfield line then that space in between those two lines where teams like to operate and like to try and hurt us is reduced and that obviously helps us and that obviously is something that you know improves our overall game it takes the pressure off of the Jackers and the Odegaards and the Jorginho or parte you know it takes the pressure off of um off of Gabriel and, and off of Zinchenko, who likes to go into that midfield, but doesn't want to get caught in the no man's land in between if the space between the lines is too big. So that's really helped us to go back to playing a lot more in, in our style and in our image and, and to go back to playing our game, basically. So credit to him. I was sort of sitting there during the game and I was I was talking to my brother, who I was watching it with, and we were saying, you know, did, did Mikel get it wrong? by playing Rob Holding when he did. And you probably look at what you saw today and look at the game against Chelsea and you probably think, yeah, absolutely. You know, that was a big mistake on Mikel's part. Now, I'm not going to say it isn't a mistake. Uh, I'm not going to go that far. I'll leave it down to you guys to come up with your own individual opinions on that. But what I will say is this. I think it it was a risk to put Kivior in earlier Based on the fact that we'd all seen so little of him, we were all moaning about Rob Holding and we were all talking about the need to find an alternative solution. But there weren't many people banging the Jakub Kivy or drum. There were people talking about Ben White going inside. There were people talking about Kieran Tierney maybe playing at right back so that Ben White could do exactly that. And from what Mikel said, and and maybe he's protecting himself a little bit uh, in this, but what he said in the press over the last sort of few days is, um, you know actually Kivio's needed this time to sort of get up to speed to to fall in line with the group um to you know to to sort of learn the language a bit better to improve that cohesion uh, between him and sort of uh, the rest of the team before he was ready and able to uh, jump in um and and come into a, a situation like the one he's been thrust into now so maybe you know it's just really easy to say that with hindsight. Um, you know, we saw a few glimpses of him beforehand and he didn't look totally convincing uh, at those points. And that again, I'm sure would have played a part in a lot of people's thinking and in a lot of people's viewpoints. But I mean, he's just, yeah, I think he's been, um, he's been brilliant over the last couple of games and long may it continue. And hopefully, uh, you know, he can prove himself to be the player that backfills Gabriel going forward. And and so we have that little bit more depth there. And look, although he is a left-sided centre-back by trade, and although he is a very left-footed player, I think you can see that. You know, he does look a little bit off balance when he's required to do things with his right foot. Although all of those things are true, I think the more he plays on the right side, the more he'll adapt to it, the more he'll understand what it is that he needs to tweak and change in order to be able to cope with that. And the more that becomes an option for us moving forward, and then we can move away permanently from the likes of Rob Holding. I don't don't know why, I don't want this to sound like a Rob Holding sort of criticism session when he didn't even play today. But the point I'm making is that Kivior in his profile, in his build, in a lot of his attributes allows us to play with that higher line and that allows us to dominate football matches again in the way that we did for two thirds of the season, maybe more, three quarters of the season. We just kind of went off a little bit because we had to slightly adapt our game and even if the rest of the line was pushing up, Rob Holding would often get caught those few yards deeper. And that was an issue for us. So credit to Jakub Kivior. Credit to Gabriel for adapting to playing with a new partner. Credit to Ben White, who's been, I think, a little bit less adventurous in his runs up and down the pitch. Probably to try and support Jakub Kivior that little bit more because he knows, A, is new to the team, still relatively inexperienced in terms of the Premier League and B, because he's playing on his wrong side. And, and to have that little bit of added protection helps. I think that's hindered Bukayo Saka a little bit down the right-hand side, because he is literally the focal point of, of the left side of any team's defence now. Uh, he always would have been, but people would have in the back of their minds uh, had to be wary of those overlapping runs, which just aren't happening as much at the moment. Uh, and I think that's impacted on Saka's game. I know people have said that he's been off the ball. I think he has been, and we'll talk about that Uh, a little bit later on. Don't forget also, um, if you're not already and you want to be and you want to support this podcast, you want to help me uh, to make more content and you want to uh, gain access to additional content, uh, you can visit anotherslice.com and you can sign up uh, to the Chronicles of Aguna on there. It's basically like Patreon, uh, just on another service, Um, anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna. You'll find us there. You can subscribe for £6 a month. You'll get post-match player ratings after every single Premier League game. And throughout the summer, we're going to be bringing you some special interviews and various other different bits of content to keep you ticking over uh, during the summer, where there will, of course, be uh, no Premier League action. We're also going to do lots of transfer stuff during the summer, but we'll spend some time doing some really focused pieces on individuals that we're heavily linked with, uh, which will go out first, uh, of course, to our members as well. So you can subscribe by going over to anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna. uh, Check it out. And the uh, Newcastle United Arsenal post-match player ratings are available now to those of you that are already subscribed. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, uh, please do uh, leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help. I hate going on about it, but it does make uh, a lot of difference. It really, really does. Also subscribe to the channel uh, if your brand spanking new as well. OK, so um, how did the game start then? Well, it started in exactly the way I thought it was going to, which was Arsenal having to weather an early storm. You know, you could just sense it from the atmosphere in the build up to kick off. In the way, sort of, there was a, a huge roar, um, uh, sort of rolling around St James's Park. The national anthem was done there. Very different response up at St James's Park to that uh, to the one that we saw at Anfield yesterday. But hey, that's another debate uh, for another day. But you just had that feeling that Newcastle were going to be up for it. They've started games fast, very well, uh, and very frequently. Um, recently, you know, it's it's just been. A really difficult place for for so many teams to go. I watched Tottenham a matter of weeks ago. I know they're shit and all that, but we literally watched Tottenham get annihilated at St. James's Park within about 15 minutes. So given that we hadn't been at our brilliant best recently, and given that we'd um, you know, just fallen off a little bit and that I had concerns about the balance of the midfield and and sort of Jacob Kivior being thrust into the lines then. I think we, you know, we we were always going to have to ride out that first 10, 15 minutes. We were always going to have to go through a difficult period. And we were probably going to need to ride our luck a bit. And we did when Murphy's effort came crashing back off the post. It was far too easy the way he checked inside and got that shot off. And we were lucky with where the ball ended up ricocheting too, that I think was Callum Wilson wasn't quite ready to pounce and wasn't quite um, on hand to take advantage of that. Maybe if that happens later on in the game, he takes Full advantage. I don't know. But look, we had to ride our luck a little bit. That's how it goes. Um, and then, of course, Newcastle had their penalty shout. The ball was struck towards goal. Yakub Kivior did have his arm kind of down by his side. It came off of his thigh first. Might have grazed his arm on its way. I think it was really, really difficult to tell from that replay if it did uh, catch the arm. Uh, but what it certainly did, absolutely certainly did, um was come off of his arm first. Um, you know, you could see come off his arm. I beg your pardon, come off of his thigh first. Sorry. Um, I'm distracted by the comments. Apparently, I look chunky today. Cheers, mate. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, the strike was towards goal. We know now that if it hits a hand, an outstretched hand, and it's going towards goal, that will invariably be given as a handball, probably rightly so, but it come off of his thigh before it potentially maybe uh, sort of grazed his arm. The movement of the shorts, I think, really, really helped the VAR to be able to spot that and identify that on the replay, um, which was obviously helpful in, in terms of coming to the right decision. It took a little bit of time, but we got that right decision in the end. And when people moan about VAR and criticise it and say, you know, it's been the death of football, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is exactly what you need it for, situations like this. Now, there is a bit of a debate. Um, as to whether it hit the arm or not. But what you could clearly see in uh, in sort of that replay is that it comes off of his leg first. And that changes things in terms of how intentional it is, in terms of if it directly uh, is preventing the ball going towards goal, etc., cetera, et cetera. So we got away with it. Lady luck, as Jonathan Whitkin says, on our side in that first sort of 10, 15 minutes. But once we got the goal, I thought the game changed completely. We sort of went forward. We put a free kick in towards the box. When it broke out to the right-hand side, Jorginho sort of shaped up as if he was going to chip it back into the box. And Newcastle, I think, prepared for that. And what he did instead was just slip it left to Martin Odegaard, who took a touch. And I swear to God, when I was watching this with my brother, I went, go on, hit it. Hit it. You know, there's no point in clipping it back into the crowd for Fabian Schär and Sven Botman and Dan Byrne to clear away with ease like you'd expect them to. Hit it. Have a go. Try and catch Nick Pope out. And Martin Odegaard, you know, who scored two wonderful goals against Chelsea the other night, had the confidence, didn't he, to just kind of shift it out of his feet and sort of strike it towards the near post. Incredibly accurate effort. Um, Hit it with his laces. Beautifully struck. It goes through the legs of the defender, which I think catches the goalkeeper out. I'm not saying he just saved it anyway, but I think that made it more difficult for him to kind of spot it early enough to adjust himself. And into the back of the net, it went. And that just really seemed to settle Arsenal down. It really seemed to sort of inject the confidence into the group and say, look, actually, you know, we're a fantastic side and we can win this game and start playing our own game. You know, it just, it just settled the nerves, didn't it? And from then on, I thought Arsenal were a completely different team. Did we concede chances? Yeah. And you will, you'll always concede chances at St. James's Park. You know, there was the one that Joe Willock had where his shot was saved by the legs of Aaron Ramsdale. Um, You know, you'll always have those moments away from home against a side like Newcastle United. But my God, did we create chances of our own as well. Martinelli, Saka and Erdegaard all had to score. They really, really did. The the Martinelli one, having watched it back again post-match, I felt like had Martin Odegaard, and I don't want to take anything away from him because I thought he was fantastic today, but had Martin Odegaard just put a tiny bit more on that pass, as in just a little bit more power, I think that that would have run into the path of Gabriel Martinelli just that little bit better. And he'd have found it easier to kind of not really break his momentum. And if he didn't break his momentum... In terms of his run and having to just kind of wait that split second to drag the ball in front of him i think he gets further away from the defender quicker and then he's not worried about that and he's focused on the finish and what actually happens is he's so focused on sort of just checking his run taking it in his stride that he maybe then gets to the position um where he's about to strike it and and hasn't even considered what nick pope might do And, you know, when you're a cold-blooded killer of a finisher, sometimes you don't need any more than that split second. But Martinelli's still young. I still question his decision-making sometimes. Um, He needed to do better there. It was straight at the goalkeeper. Then there was the other one with Bukayo Saka, which I think was a little bit more difficult because the angle wasn't as good. Um, You know, again, it took a first touch. I didn't think was bad, but I don't think it was great either. And again, disappointing because he hits it straight at Nick Pope. But for me, the big one, the really, really big one, right on the stroke of half time, was the one that fell to Martin Odegaard. He does incredibly well to just feint the shot initially and put the defender down on his ass. And from then on, you're thinking there's only one outcome here. And again, he snatches at it. You know, he's on his weaker foot. Maybe that plays a part. If he's on his left foot, does he have the confidence maybe to just dink it over the oncoming goalkeeper? I don't know. But I remember us going in at half time and literally fearing the worst, actually, because I felt like we'd done so well to create those chances. I felt like we did so well to capitalise on the weaknesses that Newcastle had in terms of how unbalanced that midfield was. And I, I talked about the mobility that they had and the energy and the engine and legs and all of those things. But I thought the balance in midfield for them was really wrong. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, that was the one for me that was the one that left me literally tearing my hair out i couldn't believe uh what i'd seen there but thankfully um you know we were we were able to to get a second goal in the second half and and we didn't pay uh for it um uh in the way that we might have done but anyway um towards the end of the first half i thought we managed the game really really well whether that be sort of going down Um, when we were on the receiving end of challenges, of which there were plenty, by the way. I I was scratching my head as to how uh, Chris Kavanagh, the referee, hadn't got his cards out at that point. I thought it was ridiculous. The fact that Newcastle were allowed to get away with so many late challenges, dirty challenges. I'd go as far as saying that, you know, leaving things on people on purpose, Um, trying to rough us up, trying to shake us up. And I thought what Arsenal did superbly today was not, not get too caught up in that but also make enough of it to be able to use it to manage the game does that make sense what i'm trying to say so the point i'm making here is that you know for example granit xhaka was was heavily involved in this let it be known that you're not going to be bullied make it clear that you're not going to be bullied make it clear to the referee that these things are going on make it clear that there is an issue and use these issues to delay the game to make the game stop and start just like newcastle united did when they came to the Emirates back in January, I think it was. Eddie I had the cheek to even talk about this in his press conference about game management. After the display they put in at St. James's Park, I thought that was laughable. I, I beg your pardon, at the Emirates. I thought that was laughable. But anyway, for me, Granit Xhaka was, was very good at that today. In terms of making an issue of it, not losing his head too much where it becomes a thing and it riles up the crowd, as everybody likes to talk about, but also riles up the opponent. He did brilliantly to just sort of protect his teammates around him, bring on the stoppages when we needed them, um, and and make sure that we saw that half out. Jesus as well used his experience, I thought, to draw out a few fouls around about the halfway line uh, when he was sort of having the ball played into his feet. I thought we did excellently to just see out that half. And I thought that game management continued on and on and on in the rest of the game as well. Now, obviously, when you're winning the game, your game management strategy is going to be different. Um, and maybe we didn't do enough of this when we were at Anfield, when we were at West Ham. The Southampton game was a totally different kettle of fish. Uh, but when I say game management, I don't just mean the game management from those on the pitch. I don't just mean Granite Xhaka going down, Aaron Ramsdale going down from time to time, Gabby Jesus doing the same, Martinelli, Saka, etc., etc. I'm talking about the game management from the bench as well. Because I thought today Mikel Arteta got it spot on. And we often talk about how young our team is, how young our players are. Mikel Arteta is getting better and better and better and better. And he's learning and learning and learning from experiences, which is all you can really ask for someone that is isn't experience. There's a lot of the people that he's going up against on a weekly basis. I remember during the draw at Liverpool, Looking at our left side of our defence and thinking, they're really stretching us here. They're catching Zinchenko out of position, which is going to happen because of the role that he plays in this team. Gabriel is having to come across. He's having to cover far too big a space. And that is in turn leaving gaps around the other centre-back on the day that was Rob Holding. And I remember during that match thinking, get Kieran Tierney on. And I remember sort of thinking it about five minutes before I saw Kieran Tierney stripped and ready by the sidelines, ready to come on. And then I remember, that I think it was Liverpool's, was it Liverpool's second goal? Yeah, it was Liverpool's second goal. It must have been the first, in the first half. It was Liverpool's second goal, just before that, where I looked at Tierney and I was like, come on, is he going to get on? And Zinchenko, just before we were able to make that change, got done in a one-on-one situation. The cross got clipped in towards the far post and Liverpool equalised. And so Arteta's learned from that because in the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half, he would have seen seen us being pulled apart on Newcastle's right, our left. He would have seen Zinchenko struggling in one-on-one defensive situations and he would have seen the strain that that was putting on Gabriel and then that was in turn putting on Kivior and the problem that that was causing for Granit Xhaka as well. And he made that change and he made it at the perfect time. And Kieran Tierney came on and he wasn't spectacular in terms of carrying the ball into midfield like Alexander Zinchenko does, but he was brilliant in terms of just filling that hole, filling that gap, making us solid. He never shied away from any challenge. You know, sometimes we talk about Kieran Tierney and his role at this football club. You know, where, where are we going with this? What's going to happen with Kieran Tierney? How's it all going to end? Is he going to be sold in the summer? Is he going to get upset and say, I need to play more? What today demonstrated is that even if he's not a starter week in, week out for Arsenal Football Club, he's an impeccably important member of this squad. And we need to be able to bring players on of that calibre to shut opponents out when you go to places like St. James's Park. And we're going to need that even more next season. If we're going to try and challenge up there again, if we're going to try and be competitive in the UEFA Champions League, now that we're back in the big time, we need the squad and Kieran is a massive part of that squad and I'd like to see him get more game time in certain fixtures because although Zinchenko gives us that control in midfield, he certainly isn't solid defensively. He certainly isn't, um, you know, isn't perfect in that sense. I I look at him defensively and, and I brick it pretty much every game. Whenever we come up against someone half decent, I think, what would I do in their position? And that is, I would try and hit that side. And you can have all the ball in midfield that you want. It's, it's just, you know, it's a vulnerability that we have when he plays. What I will say, though, is, again, on the ball, he was fantastic. The the line-breaking passes, the composure that he showed in and around our box when we were trying to play out. Zinchenko brings you all of those things in an abundance, experience, leadership, etc. But defensively, he is weak, he is poor. And I've had this conversation with a couple of colleagues that cover Manchester City and have done for a number of years. And we've often spoken about that, that the reason that Zinchenko found himself in and out of the side at Man City and then in a position where he joined Arsenal was because he wasn't the specialist left back that City were looking for. And although in a lot of games they'd get away with it in the way that we get away with it now because they'd be so dominant in other areas, when it came to the real crunch, defensively he just wasn't at it. And and we've seen that over the last few months, you know, we we really, really have. Um, But anyway... Just going back to that Odegaard goal, by the way, uh, which I mentioned a little bit earlier on, the first goal, the opening goal for Arsenal uh, this afternoon up at St. James's Park, 15th for Martin Odegaard, which makes him our joint top Premier League goalscorer on 15 alongside Gabriel Martinelli. Now, he has matched the record set by Kevin De Bruyne in the 21-22 season for the most midfield goals without any of them being penalties, which is 15. Kevin De Bruyne has set that record last season. If Martin Odegaard gets one more between now and the end of the campaign. He's broken that record. So for those of you that tell me that Martin Odegaard hides and that Martin Odegaard isn't as good as he's cracked up to be and that Martin Odegaard uh, isn't a great player and that he shouldn't be our captain and that he goes missing, have a bit of that because he really doesn't. He's a fantastic player. He's been marvelous all season. At times, teams have done a job on him. Teams have found a way of um, uh, of trying to stop the supply into him. They've tried to limit the space that he has to work in. Um, and that is, you know, always going to happen to your best players. And the greatest players find a way to rise above that and still continue to do what it is that they do best. And I have faith in Odegaard and his development and, and that he will continue to improve more and more and more. And um, what a player he is. Second half, though, started pretty much like the first half did. Newcastle battering away at us, trying desperately to find that equalizing goal. Arsenal were under pressure. And again, we had to ride our luck a little bit. We had to weather the storm. Alexander Isak's header uh, onto the post, uh, just a couple of minutes, I think, into that second half. And that was the moment for me where I'd had enough uh, with regards to Alexander Zinchenko. That was the moment for me where I went, he's got, he's got to get off. I'm sorry. I like the guy. Um, You know, he's a a fantastic professional. He's added lots and lots to this team this season since arriving. But as a one-on-one defender, he is too weak. It's a problem for us and we need to make that change. And I think it was about 10 minutes after that, maybe nine minutes after that, that Mikel Arteta went, yeah, we got to change this. We have to. So he does that. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale made a stunning save just a minute after the initial chance that I mentioned. So that was on 47 minutes that Alexander Isak header on 48. Aaron Ramsdale called into action uh, from close range. It was Trippier's cross into the box. Wonderful delivery, as we've come to expect from him. And there was um, Fabian Share to head it towards goal. Quite close to Ramsdale, but he still has to make that reaction safe. He still has to be sharp enough. He still has to anticipate what it is that the attacker is going to do. And, and it's a brilliant save. Um, And then a couple of minutes after that, so a really frantic start to the second half. Arsenal go down the other end. Chance looks as though it's gone. Martinelli picks up the ball uh, wide inside the penalty area thinking what's he going to do go on the outside come back in on the inside is he going to try that little drop of shot today's episode is sponsored by nerd Wallet's smart money podcast nerd wallets trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world helping you make smarter decisions with your money the nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so i don't dread april every year producing a balanced budget not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
0: new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in Washington DC just try create that half a
1: yard of space and he kind of like leans back opens up his body and just tries to pick out that top corner it comes off the top of the crossbar so Arsenal hitting the woodwork too Um, but there were a few other moments sort of in between uh, that and the second goal, a big one for me was on 58 where Granite Xhaka came sprinting back uh, from defensive midfield and made a wonderful sliding challenge around about the area in which the right centre-back was was trying to operate. You know, Newcastle coming down that left-hand side, Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak trying to combine, trying to cause us problems. Granite Xhaka, that was, you know, he had a great game all round, I thought, but that really capped off his performance for me. That particular moment, um, in which he not only had the awareness and anticipated what might happen and what he'd need to do to try and help out and support in that, but also had the composure to go sliding in and execute that challenge and make sure that he got it 100% right. And then on 70, we found the second goal. And this is what I talk about a lot. You know, people have been really, really critical of, of the decision to leave Leandro Trossard out. And Like, I like Leandro Trossard. I think every time he's played for Arsenal, he's been a credit to himself. He's been really, really good. He's provided assist after assist after assist. He's been superb. He's been probably a little bit unlucky not to have more goals than he has. Um, But Martinelli has to be in the team because of his directness, because of his power, because of his energy. You know, he's like the Duracell bunny up and down that left-hand side. And, you know, that second goal it comes from him being literally relentless and direct and knowing exactly what it is that he wants to do, being focused on the task at hand. Now, I bet you that Leandro Trossard, as great as he is, doesn't do what Martinelli does there because it's a brilliant counter attack from Arsenal in the first place. But Martinelli gets into a position where it doesn't look like he's got an awful lot on. It doesn't look like he's quite got the angle for the shot. doesn't look like he's got enough pitch on the outside to try and go round on the outside. So what does he do? He, he realizes that, a bit like Martin Odegaard when he took a shot in the first half that ended up in the bottom corner, where it's kind of like, if you don't shoot, you don't score. Martinelli's gone, right, I need to get this ball into the danger area. That is my task now. From this situation that I'm in, from this position that I'm in, my task and my duty as a wide player, as a winger, to take on my man and work the ball into that area, and if someone's running in to tap it in, fantastic—they've done their job. But I need to make sure that I do mine. Our Martin Odegaard was coming in at the far post and probably would have had a tap in. Had Fabian share, not got a touch on it. But Martinelli puts him in that position. He puts him in that position of panic, where he doesn't know how to react and he doesn't know how to keep the ball out of the back of the net as it comes off of him and finds its way in. So Martinelli deserves a ton of praise for that. I'm, I'm so happy for him um, as well because that kind of justified the selection. You know, he'd missed the chance in the first half. Lots of people were talking about Trossard and rightly so, he's a fantastic player. But I mentioned Martin Odegaard had gone level as the top goal scorer for Arsenal this season in the Premier League today. And it's with Gabriel Martinelli. So how can you justify leaving him out the side? It's madness. It is madness. Um, Sam had said that Saka should come out of the team maybe there's a debate to be had there, but we know that mikel's a huge fan of, of, uh, of Osaka and was always unlikely to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gabriel Martinelli, what a player. He's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't he this season? He really, really has. And I still think he can be- get better. That's the scary thing. I still think at times he's a little bit immature in his decision-making. He can be a little bit rash, uh, but the fact that he's, improved this much and is still at such a young tender age that we've tied him down to a new contract it bodes really really well doesn't it it really really does uh let me just quickly take this uh super chat before we continue moving on we're going to get some of your questions as well so start popping them in the chat box pop a queue at the beginning and we'll get through as many of those as we possibly can between now and the end of the show uh craig from fort lauderdale uh says big harry Great win for the boys. Hello from a hot-ass Fort Lauderdale. Hello, mate. I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I hope you guys enjoyed the game as much as we did here. Look, start getting some questions in. I've got a few more points to make, um, and then uh, I'm going to focus solely on your questions. But I'm just going to have a short, short break because I'm going to bring you a quick message from our sponsors, the good people over at NordVPN. (music) So as you will know, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast is currently sponsored by the good people over at NordVPN to sign up to the virtual private network service, which will bring you a host of benefits, which I'm going to explain in a minute. What you need to do is go over to nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles The link is in the description below. Check it out because it still has only got, I think, a couple more weeks to run. But with our discount code signing up via our link, you can get a huge discount on the NordVPN service as well as four additional months at the end of your plan for free. Uh, If you don't like it, if you're unhappy with it, if it's not what you thought it was, if it isn't really working for you, you can get your money back within 30 days as well. So there really is no risk uh, to signing up uh, to this. So what do you get for NordVPN? Well, first of all, let's talk about the cost because that's the first thing that people always ask, isn't it? How much does it cost? Well, it costs less than the price of of coffee, uh, per month, less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. My words are all over the place today. Maybe it's the excitement or the couple of beers I had during the match. Uh, but anyway, uh, check it out. And uh, what can you do with NordVPN? Well, you can change your virtual private location. Uh, you can sign into the internet uh, via a secure connection, which means that it's less likely, particularly if you're using public Wi Fi, that anybody's going to be able to get in. Uh, to your device or or be able to access any of your details. So protection uh, is first and foremost, uh, very, very important, of course. But also by changing your virtual location, you can access subscriptions, streams, content that you wouldn't be able to access in your normal territory. Example I always use is when I want to watch Greek TV, I can't stream it here in the UK because of the geo blocks. so what do I do I change my virtual location to Greece and I'm able to log into those iPlayers whatever you call them whatever they call them in Greece these days and I can access uh, that content that I want I can also watch uh, football and various other things that aren't available to me here in the UK normally if you change your location you can also search for flight prices from uh, the, maybe the destination that you're looking to go to. And often you'll find that it can work out quite well. So those are just a handful of the benefits, but for the price of a cup of coffee per month, it is a no brainer. NordVPN.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. We thank them for their support of the podcast. And um, if you've got any questions about it, reach out to me because I'm a user of it quite a lot and I'll be able to explain to you or help you uh, with any issues that you may or may not have. Uh, Thank you to NordVPN for their kind sponsorship. Let's get back to the football chat. Wow. Uh, Loads and loads of questions uh, coming through in that period of time. We'll get through as many of those as we possibly can in a moment. I just wanted to make a couple of points uh, more on this one. Um, The referee. The referee. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was terrible. I, I, I couldn't believe what Newcastle United were getting away with in terms of some of the challenges, uh, leaving it on people, you know, late to the challenges, some dangerous challenges at times, challenges that were certainly worthy of yellow cards. He left it an age to dish out the first yellow card. I think it was, was it Dan Byrne that got the first one? I mean, I, I understand this notion and this idea of letting the game flow and letting it run and and trying not to damage it too much and, you know, the, the Premier League is all about the spectacle and all of that. But there's a line and I think Newcastle crossed that line on numerous occasions. And I never really felt that it was dealt with correctly by the by the officials. So Chris Kavanagh, uh, for me, had an absolute stinker uh, in that sense. Um, I talked about Jorginho and, and how well I thought he did in terms of giving us control, composure in those deep midfield areas. Didn't really get overrun too much because I thought he was, used his intelligence really well. Um, was able to plug the right holes, uh, sort of cut out the passing lanes. He, he did a lot of good sort of using his head rather than using his legs. And and uh, as the uh, the great Andrea Pirlo once said, football is played in your head. Your feet are just the tools that you play it with. And, and that's very much the case with Jorginho, a very, very intelligent player who a lot of us ask questions of when he was signed a lot of us question whether he could make a difference today, and he made a real uh, positive one. So credit to him. Uh, brilliant to see. Really, really uh, was from Jorginho uh, this afternoon. The other point I wanted to make that I've got in my notes here, and, and remember, if you're looking for player ratings, uh, you can go over uh, to the Chronicles of Aguna Premium over the on the Another Slice platform. After every Premier League game, we bring you uh, Premier League ratings. Here you go. You can find them here. Uh, Chroniclesafc.com. No, <laughs> another slice.com forward slash chronicles uh, of Aguna. That's where you'll find it. The link is in the description. I don't know what's going on with me today. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do these on bank holiday Sunday nights. Maybe it's the buzz. Maybe it's the beer. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit both. But anyway, um check those out. You won't be disappointed. Post match player ratings, breaking it down, looking at each of the players that started the game, as well as Kieran Tierney, as well, who I threw in there for good measure. So I've talked about Jorginho. I want to make sure that I give everybody the credit they deserve. Um, I talked about Xhaka, who I thought was was superb. Um, The wingers not quite at their brilliant best today, in my opinion, but obviously still had an impact on the game. Certainly uh, Gabby Martinelli did. Eddie Howe. This is where I wanted to go. Eddie Howe. Now, I know this is an Arsenal podcast, and we shouldn't really focus too much on the opponent. You know, obviously, where it's relevant, we'll... We'll have those discussions. But anyhow, for me, disrespected Arsenal today, I thought. And he will tell you that Longstaff was out and that that changed his plans and that. But he stood there before the match and said, I think this system can work against Arsenal. And I think he banked on overrunning us and he banked on basically scaring the shit out of us. And he banked on us having zero composure and not being able to play our way out or play through the lines, which we did to an incredibly high level. And that is what allowed us to create the chances that we did it's what allowed us to get in between their midfield and defense so easily and end up in situations where we had four or five arsenal players charging forward giving us options therefore creating those openings and he never he never changed it like he n- literally never changed it now once you're 1-0 down you're probably thinking well i need as many attacking players on the pitch as i can uh, to try and get my team back into this game but i just thought to play the midfield that he played Bruno Gimaraes, who struggled for me badly today. You know, a lot of hot air about us not signing him. Do you remember all of that? I thought he really struggled today. It's been good all season, to be fair to him. I don't want to take that away from him. Wasn't very good today. Um, Joe Willock, you know, makes those late runs into midfield, but doesn't give you an awful lot around that. Work rate, yes, but control, not really. Joe Linton, who was a centre forward 12 months ago, You know, he's never going to be as accomplished a midfielder as maybe some of the others in the Premier League uh, because he's still learning the position. But then on top of that, on top of that balance that he had in midfield, to then play with Wilson and Isak, when I watched him say last weekend that they couldn't do that because it disrupted the balance and he needed to be mindful of the quality of their opponents. To then do that today against us, I thought was a little bit disrespectful. And I remember starting the game thinking why am I shitting it? Why am I bricking it? We are Arsenal and we are here because we deserve to be here. You know, we're being talked about as title challengers because we deserve to be. And I just, yeah, I just thought it was a little bit naive from Eddie Howe. And in the past, I've looked at him and I've said he's he's a bit of a naive coach and a bit of a naive manager. I thought that at Bournemouth where he was insistent on playing in a certain way at times where it wasn't working. It was clear it wasn't working and ultimately ended up losing his job. This is not to take anything away from what he's done at Newcastle United. But I thought today he had an absolute mare. And had Mikel Arteta done that, we'd have all been uh, all over him. Right, let's take uh, some uh, of your comments. Uh, Mohamed says, should Partey start again uh, between now and the end of the season? This is a really, really good question. I mean, look, I thought that today was a game for Thomas Partey. I really, really did. I thought this was a game that would suit him. This was a game where we needed his mobility. This was a game where we needed a midfielder that had the attributes that Thomas Partey doesn't and the ones in particular that maybe Jorginho doesn't. That's what I thought going into this game, like genuinely. But having said that, you know, he, he hasn't performed of late. We we talk about those attributes and we talk about the things he brings to the team. We haven't really seen those. What we've seen over the last few games that he's played has been error after error, poor judgment in and around his own penalty area, giving the ball away too casually. Some people have suggested that he's playing with a bit of a knock and maybe that's had an impact. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but what I will say is Thomas Partey hasn't been at his best. After that performance from Jorginho, what reason does Mikel Arteta have now to go into that Brighton game and say to Jorginho, you're not playing. And this is the thing, right? If if we get beaten by Brighton or, or we drop points against Brighton, which is a real possibility because they're a really bloody good side, people will say, why didn't Thomas Partey come back in? Because that revisionism and that hindsight piece is always there. But based on what I've seen from Jorginho against Chelsea and today against Newcastle, I don't think there's a... I don't think there's really a strong case to take him out of the side. I think he's been impeccable and he deserves to continue in the team for me. If he has a stinker against Brighton, then, yeah, Partey could come back in against Forest potentially. Like I think you just got to judge it game by game. You've got to judge it based on how training's going. Remember, we only see the match days. We don't see what goes on behind the scenes. We don't see or understand really... Uh, what the dynamic is like on the training ground. Perhaps Mikel Arteta's picked up on something with Thomas Partey that he doesn't really feel comfortable with or that he doesn't really like. And and maybe that's had a bit of an impact, you know. Maybe he's got something personal going on and he's just not quite there. Maybe, you know, he's, he's shown signs of fitness issues, fatigue in training, and that's played a part. There are a lot of factors that we will be oblivious to. Um, but no, going into next week, I don't know about for the rest of the season, but going into next week against Brighton, for me, Jorginho plays. Uh, Billy G says, thoughts on Kivio today, Harry? I thought he looked extremely composed in a pressured game. Yeah, as I said, you know, he, he pleasantly surprised me today. I was He was one of the players I was worried about going into this one, because as I said, looking at the Chelsea game gave us an indication, but it was against a really poor, toothless Chelsea side who have been so bad in front of goal all season. I didn't really know what to make of it. But today... He helped us to play with the high line that we so desperately want to play with. He stayed close to Gabriel. Didn't really get sucked out of center back too much as well, which I liked because one of the things I criticized Rob holding for when he was playing was that, look, you're not that guy. You're not that front foot defender that William Saliba is. You're not the one that's going to go and squeeze up the backside of the, um, of the attacker and get really close and like suffocate him. You're not, you're not that player. So stop doing that because you're exposing yourself. What Jakub Kivior has done is recognise that, although he probably is more that type of player, he's recognised that I'm playing on my wrong side, I'm not particularly comfortable on my right foot. I don't want to be turning people. You know, normally when you're playing on your, your correct side as a defender, you you want to go and squeeze them and you know that if they spin around you and they spin you on the outside because you should never show them inside. So you're always going to try and show them on the outside that you're on your preferred side to be able to defend that. Have I explained that correctly? So let's say let's say you're Gabriel, let's say you're Jakub Kivio, right? And you're standing in the heart of your defence and the striker's backing into you and the ball is played into the striker's feet and you're, you're squeezed right up behind him. You will always want to show him on the outside. That's what centre-backs are taught and coached to do. You don't want him coming inside you. You want to send him outside because you want to send him wide of the goal. That's your primary objective. So if he spins you and turns you on the outside, you want to know that when he does that, you're balanced and you're on your right side, your correct side to be able to make that sliding challenge that you might need to make or to make that interception, to get a toe in, etc. cetera, whatever. When you're playing on your wrong side as a center back, you never want to show someone inside. So you don't want to show them, into your left foot, because then you're sending them inside, which is a more dangerous position. You want to send them on the outside. But Kivio probably doesn't feel that comfortable doing that. So I actually think when you see Jakub Kivior play on the left, you're going to see him sending people, showing people on the outside a lot more and then believing in his ability to be able to win the ball back, make a sliding challenge, etc., etc. But he, he made that adaptation to his game and to his style, which says to me that he's a very, very intelligent footballer. And that is what I want. So, um, yeah, really, really pleased with him. Uh, Let's take a couple more comments before we dive back in the questions. Thomas says, so very proud of these boys. Whatever happens now, we're winners this season anyway, Uh, in my mind. I mean, I, I sort of echo that sentiment in that I'm so pleased and proud of what I've seen this season. And I just wanted to see us fight it till the end. I, I kind of accepted after the City game that it was done. Um, I, I, honestly, I accepted it was done after Southampton because I never gave us a hope in hell up at City. But what I wanted after that, when I kind of recalibrated my expectations, my hopes, my feelings, was just for Arsenal to really push it until the end and to make sure that we didn't go out with a whimper and that we were sending a message to the rest of Europe and all those players that are looking at potentially joining Arsenal and going, this is a place where we're on an upward trajectory, and you want to be here. You want to be a part of this. Uh, Steve Stone says, a Xhaka's block. How important was that? Huge, wasn't it? Huge. Um, and he, he made a couple of those as well. There was one in the first half, and there was one in the second half as well. Brilliant um, from Granite Xhaka. Ioku says, Harry, greetings from Canada. Do you think this win puts pressure on City, or is it back on Arsenal to keep winning? Well, obviously, there's a pressure on Arsenal to win every game now. Um, you know, because we don't have any margin for error. What I will say is that we've got Brighton at home, Nottingham Forest away, and then Wolves at home, at least on paper. And I know that football isn't played on paper, but at least on paper, we've got past the difficult ones, the, the most difficult ones. Brighton will be tough, but if you want to win the league, you've probably got to beat Brighton at home. Nottingham Forest will be fighting for their lives, but they are down there, which is for a reason. So you you have to be able to go and win there. And Wolves at home on the last day, who are, are safe and, and aren't really playing for an awful lot, is a game that you probably have to win and, and should win if you want to win the Premier League. So does it put pressure on Arsenal? I don't really think that, because I think we were always under pressure to go out and win all of our games. What it does, though, is is probably change Pep Guardiola's thinking, going into that game against Everton on Sunday, because, of course, they meet Real Madrid this week in the first leg of their Champions League semi-final, and then they play them again next week in the second leg. The game's on Sunday. So uh, the game, I mean, is is the Everton game. That's on Sunday, just before we play Brighton. What it maybe does is mean that Pep Guardiola will feel that he can't rotate the team as heavily as he might have liked had Arsenal been beaten at Newcastle today. What I'm saying is, he made seven changes yesterday against Leeds United because he felt he could get away with that at home against a side that's struggling, albeit they just brought in Sam Allardyce. He felt he could get away with making a multitude of changes because he knew that we were going to Newcastle and maybe he had a little bit of a margin for error in his mind. He probably would never say it publicly, but I think that's probably what he'd have been thinking yesterday when he made those changes. The fact that we've won at Newcastle, which very few gave us a chance of doing means that Pep Guardiola will probably think differently about the team that he sends out against Everton at at the weekend. Doesn't mean they're not going to win the game. They're more than good enough. They're good enough even when they make seven or eight changes. We've seen that. But maybe it just does add a little bit of pressure and maybe it changes his thinking. And we know if I'm maybe I'm going to clutch at some straws here, but we know that Mikel Arteta, you know, is uh is someone who wants us to keep pushing, wants us to keep going. We know that he knows Pep Guardiola inside out. And we know that Pep Guardiola in the past has been accused of overthinking things and then messing them up as a result because he's tried to change something that he maybe shouldn't have or didn't need to. So it's going to be interesting. Really, really is. Uh, Mario says, great tactical adjustments by Arteta and his staff today. Uh, Well organized, even under pressure. Agreed. mickey says it was a smartly controlled performance by the team today and a well-deserved win let's keep winning and see where that leaves us that's all we can do mate that's it uh, afsar says uh, moon the likes you know what? i'm going to check where we're at in terms of likes at the moment because there's more than enough of you watching us uh right now uh, the likes really really do help look we have got 131 on the board right now which is nowhere near enough what's going on uh come on guys Like, 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 subscribe. Um, You know the drill Uh, by now. It really, really does help. And also, if you're listening on audio, then please do uh, leave us a review as well. That helps. Uh, Joey Leo says, Harry, cheers from Stateside. Cheers to you too, mate. Uh, He says, all they could do is try and chop us down. That's literally what it felt like they were trying to do, wasn't it? Uh, Particularly after we got the second goal, it just seemed to go up a notch in terms of the like, well, we've lost now. We might as well hurt them a bit. Uh, that's what I felt anyway. Uh, Wesley says, uh, should Gabriel Jesus fire, file a police report today? He's been absolutely assaulted out there. Is he going to last more than a couple of seasons at this rate? He's certainly very robust, isn't he? And when you think about the fact that he was out for all of that time with such a serious injury and that mentally it hasn't really impacted him in that he still puts himself about. He still goes into that challenges. I think you have to take your hat off to the guy. But you're right. He was being kicked all over the place. And that's that's the way people uh, have, uh, have decided they need to stop him. Um <laughs> says, Harry, if you watch the game in the 80s and in the 90s, then you'll realise the referee had a good match. I didn't watch it in the 80s. I was, wasn't even born in the 80s. Caught the late 90s, um, sort of mid to late 90s. But we're not playing football in the in the 90s anymore. So by today's standards, I thought that he let way too much go. I really, really did. Shabi uh, says um, his cards were stuck in his pocket. Maybe, maybe he forgot them at home. I don't know. Uh, Richard says, bro, Newcastle didn't come to play. Most of their players were so busy fighting, they kept losing the ball. And this goes back to the point I made earlier on when we were talking about Granit Xhaka. When I said, I thought he towed the line perfectly between threatening to blow his top and lose it just to kind of send that message to Newcastle that we wouldn't be bullied and and protecting his teammates. There was one situation where someone went sprinting up to Martinelli and and Xhaka, as he does, just sort of steps in front of him and goes to protect his man. I think we we did that really well today in that we allowed them to let their frustrations boil over and allowed the game to turn into something that it shouldn't have been. Um, We limited how often the ball was in play, which they did to us. So I find it rich that they're complaining about that. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I thought we we managed the game really, really well in that sense. Uh, Cesar says, after the Man City match, you talked about how as a team, we lacked physicality. Newcastle were by far the more physical team. Do you still stand by your statement? So I believe that in order to be the very best team, So I'm talking the best on the planet at the the time, the best in the world, the best in class. You need to have both. You need to be physically superb, but you also need to be technically at an incredibly high level as well. And I think if you think back to the invincibles, that's what they were to me. There were some unbelievable footballers there, but there were some man mountains of men as well. And, And we had that perfect blend and that perfect balance. Arsene Wenger used to be able to find that perfect blend and perfect balance. And what happened was as his career went on, he he sort of veered away from that a little bit and he went down the more technical route, which made us suffer physically. When we played against Manchester City the other day, I was so impressed with them because I thought they did both of those things. They had all of that technical ability, all of that class, all of that talent, all of that technique, but they also had the Erling Haaland's, the Rodri's, Uh, The John Stones is the people that could do both sides of the game. And we couldn't live with it on the night. Mikel Arteta admitted it um, sort of post-match, for those of you that watched it on TV. He said tonight that, or this afternoon, that the reason he went for the approach he did, i.e. putting Jorginho in and, and almost wanting to sort of beat them technically, was because he knew that in a physical battle we'd lose. Which says to me that Mikel Arteta knows we're missing that as well. And that we don't have that ability to compete in an all-out physical assault. And I think he realized that up against Man City as well. So I stand by my statement that we need to be better physically. and That's going to take us to the next level. What we did today was, was at times technically really dominate Newcastle. We played out from the back brilliantly, despite being under pressure. And we created openings brilliantly. And we scored a fantastic goal through Martin Odegaard because technically he's on an incredible level. So I think the technical side of it come out on top today. But I think if we want to continue on an upward trajectory and we want to get better and better and better, we're going to need to add that physical element as well. Today, we decided to focus on the technical side. And that's where Mikel Arteta deserves credit because I thought he got it absolutely spot on. Um, But yeah, I, I stick by that statement. Yeah, I think we still need a bit more of that. I really, really do. Uh, guys, I'm going to take uh, one or two more comments uh, before I sign out for the evening. Don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow night as well with another stream uh, where we'll be looking back at the the weekend, uh, the long weekend, bank holiday weekend of Premier League stuff. Um, there's lots and lots to uh, talk about. We'll maybe uh, bring you some more analysis of the Newcastle game. Uh, I'm going to rewatch it, obviously, this evening and, uh, and I'll come up with some more thoughts and, and assessments and we can go through those as well. Uh, For those of you that are um, interested, I'll be on TalkSport 2 tomorrow as well. So I'm sure we'll get to talk about this game, which I'm looking forward to on the Monday Club show in the afternoon. Uh, What else have we got? Um, Who's this Gavin Geezer that's just moaning? Um, I'm going to block him. Can't be bothered. As I've said, I can't be bothered for people that come in this chat literally to wind people up. Um, That's not what we're here to do tonight, today, tonight. This evening, we're here to celebrate an Arsenal victory, a really impressive one at that. We're not here to have a go at each other and try and wind each other up. Blocked. See you later. I've said over the last few days, I ain't going to put up with this crap anymore. If um, if people have got differing opinions, that's absolutely fine. As long as, you know, we're we're having a debate and a discussion. No problem with different opinions. I've got a problem with people trolling. And that's exactly what, from what I've been able to catch during this show, Mr. Gavin has been doing. So he's been blocked Anyway. Uh, Anyway, okay, uh, what else have we got? Um, Let me take one more. Let me just scroll through. Let's try and make it a good Um, one. Oh, there's my alarm, because I'm supposed to be on the radio at 8.40. So I've only got literally like a minute or two before I need to wrap this up. Um, I really like that question, by the way, from um, from uh, Cesar about the physicality. That was really, really good one. We'll maybe do a show or something like that coming into the summer um, when we're sort of looking at shopping lists and things like that. It's a good point to discuss, I think, at length. Uh, Alistair says, do you not think Newcastle should have had a red? I don't know that I would have gone as far as giving any of them a red card. I didn't think it was that severe, but I thought there was a totting up of fouls that really frustrated me and and as a result i'm disappointed that at how little yellow cards were shown i gotta be honest but hey it is what it is um it's over now we won the game we've come through it um unscathed seemingly from what we know and understand right now and we've come through it with uh with three points in the bag to keep our title hopes alive brilliant performance we played without fear we played with the handbrake off we played Um, our game today. And that's what impressed me the most. The fact that we went there and we didn't wilt and we didn't go into our shell. We played the Arsenal way today up at St. James's Park. We rode our luck at times. We conceded chances at times. But as I said, right at the top of the show, that's always going to happen when you go to somewhere like St. James's Park. What you got to do is take your moments when they come along. We didn't take all of our moments, but we took enough of them to win the game, uh, which is good enough for me today. Um, I'm going to leave it there. I'll catch you all tomorrow with more. Um, We'll get right stuck into sort of some more of the fallout from this one. We'll look at what's happened uh, in the Premier League this weekend and what that means and and where we kind of go from here. If there's any transfer rumours, which I'm sure there will be because they seem to be coming out on a daily basis at the moment, we'll address those as well. Uh, We'll be back with another full-length episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast tomorrow on Bank Holiday Monday here in the UK. Until then, take care of yourselves. Uh, Enjoy a Sunday evening drink to celebrate because Arsenal might not be favourites for the title anymore, but I tell you what, we are going to give this a real fight and we are going to be there just in case Manchester City. I'm going to go on a rant Kevin Keegan style. I will love it. I will love it if you drop points uh, in your remaining fixtures. Look, we just got to do our job. That's all we can do and we'll see where we are. Uh, come May the twenty I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.
0: Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live. Bets,